All right, well, I wanted to start today by introducing this whole thing, the struggle is real. And over the last few years, over the, as social media has taken hold, as social media has kind of dominated the world, we, we all kind of became familiar with hashtags. And in fact, now hashtags have been around for so long that they actually, a lot of people are saying they're kind of like the opposite. They're not really as useful anymore. It comes off as thirsty if you're using hashtags, comes off if you're trying to gain attention. You don't actually have a following yet. You're trying to get attention, trying to get a following. But over the years, there have been a couple, a couple of, of hashtags that really stood out as things that became popular, became so popular that became familiar with the way that we actually talk about, about, about life and about the way we interact even in, in real life. And one of them is this simple hashtag, the struggle is real. And today's title and the title of this series comes from a real hashtag that became rather popular. And generally, it's used when someone is a little bit bored or maybe a little bit tired or maybe a little bit lazy or they're being sarcastic about problems that aren't really that big of a problem. Sometimes it's even a little bit of a humble brag like, oh, this thing is so good in my life that it's actually become a little bit of a problem. So there's this relatively sarcastic tone, half-joking vibe that tends to go along with this category. And I want to share a few of those with you today to kind of get us rolling. One of them would be that one of them I found is I just found the perfect maxi dress for summer but there's none left in my size hashtag the struggle is real or I can't sleep when I'm hot but I need a blanket on me in order to sleep hashtag the struggle is real some of you are like oh there's one I identify I, like I can't sleep when I'm hot but the struggle but but I need a blanket on me in order to sleep maybe it's when the dentist tries to carry on a full conversation with you while both of his hands are in your mouth hashtag the struggle is real or Having to put on pants because the UPS man is supposed to show up today. Hashtag the struggle is real. Things that make me happy. Whipped cream. Things that make me fat. Whipped cream. Hashtag the struggle is real. Or hashtag doctor tells me to reduce calories the same day I found out that Mountain Dew Baja Blast is back in cans and bottles for the summer. Hashtag Baja season. Hashtag the struggle is real. So here's the thing. Those are some sarcastic, not that real struggles. Although for some of you, you may really very much deal with it and be very frustrated by having to put on pants because the UPS man is going to be arriving that day. But today though, I want to talk about the struggles that are very very real, and that you'll face if you're anywhere between a graduating senior or a senior citizen or, or, or anywhere in between. And starting today, it's the simple struggle of what will define us. What will define us? When it comes to our struggles, what will define us? Or how will our lives be defined by struggle? How will we be known? Or what will we be known for? That all of us face struggles, but what role do our struggles have? And what role do our struggles play when it comes to defining our lives? And here's the thing. Because of our life is so full of different struggles, we think we will be defined by our struggles. That if, if you struggle in school, if you struggle in marriage, if you struggle in relationships, you struggle in dating, you struggle in health, you struggle in your physical health, your mental health, you struggle with addiction, you struggle with your career, you struggle in any certain area of your life, the tendency tends to be that we think that we are going to be defined by our struggles. We're going to be defined by the fact that we struggled in school, defined by the fact that we struggled in marriage, defined by the fact that marriage was difficult, that dating was difficult, that we, that we, that we had a difficult time finding the one or getting the one to stick around. Maybe that health, you think like you have a difficult thing going, you got a diagnosis, you found out you had cancer, you found out you had a physical disability, and all of a sudden you think your life is going to be defined by the fact that that was a struggle for you. Or maybe it's your mental health, that you struggle with ADHD, 
or you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with depression, and you think your life is going to be defined by the fact that you struggled in the area of your mental health or you had an addiction and, 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 and it wasn't just like, oh, I randomly chose to be addicted. You, you got prescri- prescribed some pills that were, that were for a reason and were for a season. But what happened is you became addicted to those things and you find yourself seeking out bigger things that actually, that, that those things no longer dealt with the, the pain that you felt and you had to find some things that were a little bit more intense and a little bit more extreme. And you find yourself addicted because of something that started out very real. And you think that addiction is going to be the defining thing of your life or maybe it's your career and that, that it's never gotten off, off track the way that you hoped it would go off, that, you would ne- that you've never been as successful successful as you hoped you would be. And you think that your life is going to be defined by the fact that you struggled in those areas. And and because of that, we carry shame thinking that we'll be defined by our struggles. You know, well, none of my friends struggle like this. Well, none of of my friends struggle with this. No no one else I know is tempted by what I'm tempted with, right? No one else else deals with depression the way that I deal with depression. Nobody else, like my friends, their career stuff got off so easily and they've just have been success, success, success. And for me, it's been a struggle and I have struggled in an area that none of my friends struggled with. And let me tell you what, what what I know about your friends. They all struggle with things too. They might be better at hiding it publicly, but they all struggle too. And so the truth today is simply this. You will not be defined by the fact that you struggled. We all struggle. Everyone struggles with something. Everyone struggles with something at some point in life. Everyone struggles with some relationship that there is no one for that everything comes easily for. You will not be defined by the fact that you have struggled. But today I want to let you know the, the, the second truth is simply this, that you will be defined by how you respond to your struggles. You and I, every single one of us, we will not be defined by the fact that we struggle. The fact that we struggle simply makes us alive. It makes it it means that we are human beings living in in a fallen world and we are fallen individuals. And because of our fallen selves living in a fallen world, there's things that are going to be difficult. But in the face of all of that difficulty, in the face of all that struggle, you and I, we will be defined by how we respond to our struggles. In other words, you won't be defined by facing depression you will be defined by how you respond in the face of depression. You won't be defined by parenting being difficult. Just newsflash, parenting is difficult for just about everyone on the planet. So the fact that parenting is difficult for you puts you in a group of about 100% of parents on the planet. Let's say 99.9% of parents on the planet. You won't be defined by the fact that parenting is difficult and that parenting is a struggle. You will be defined by how you respond when it is. You won't be defined by having a physical health challenge. You will be defined by how you respond when you have a physical health challenge. See, obstacles come in all different ways. There's the obvious tough situations. There's great opportunities that turn sour. There's relationships that we want, but they turn out to be not so great in the long run. But it's not the moments that will define us. It's it's the choice that we have in every moment to live in a way that allows God to work in us and allows God to work through us in every situation of life on the best of days and on the days that we struggle the most. So the question becomes, what choices do we have to make when we struggle? 
What choices do we have to make in the face of struggle when life is a struggle, when parenting is a struggle, when mental health is a struggle, when our physical health is a struggle? What choices do we have to make when we're faced with very real struggles? What choices do you have to make over the coming weeks and the coming months and the coming years, maybe the coming decades that will define you as someone who allows God to do great things through you and allows God to do great things in you even when you struggle? And if that's the question, I think we have no better example from the Bible than a story that is so familiar that it's become part of everyday language anytime we talk about an underdog story in sports, in business, in in relationships, in, in anything in life. It's a story of a young man named David when he fought a giant named, you would guess it, Goliath. Because in this story, David didn't simply arrive at the next moment and become famous, and he didn't simply arrive at a, at a, at a, at a struggle, at, I mean, at an obstacle, and go, oh well, this obstacle is too big, this struggle is too great, this struggle is, is going to lead to more and more struggles. My whole life is a struggle because of this struggle. He made some choices that seized the very next moment, that, that, that faced the struggle, that faced the obstacle, that owned up to it and took responsibility for what he needed to do in this moment in time. And in doing so, he set himself apart from everyone around him as a man that God would use in huge ways. So today, let's, run, let's get straight to the story from the Bible. In, chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're told this. I'm going to read big, long stretches of the story to kind of get, get, us, get us where we're going. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah at Ephesus Demim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills, with the valley between them. That's going to be an important detail in just a moment. Then, Gal- then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to, the face of the, to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. This is a serious dude. This is a serious obstacle. This is a warrior who has come to defeat you, who has come to defeat Israel. This is the struggle of life. I mean, again, I know in the story of David and Goliath, there's a lot of ways to interpret this. And the best way to interpret it is not to interpret us as, 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 oh, I'm David and Goliath is the struggles of life. I know this is not the best way to interpret it. The best way to interpret it is that God is David and he is going to war against our sin, the ultimate struggle of our life. I know that's the best and most accurate interpretation of, of what God was ultimately doing in this story. But in the moments of our lives, sometimes we do need to be reminded that we actually are a little bit of David and our struggles are a little bit of Goliath. And no matter how big the obstacle seems, there's a God who is bigger and there's a God who is stronger and there's a God who is at work in and through us to overcome the struggles of our lives. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion. As if, as if he needed to be introduced. Like, just want to let you all know. Hi, I'm Goliath. I'm the champ. I, I'm the champ. Okay, you know, like, yeah, we we guess that you're nine feet tall. Your armor weighs 125 pounds. Like, yeah, we get it. You, we, you didn't need to tell us that. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. He's he's proposing one-on-one combat. 
He's proposing man-to-man -man combat. Then we'll be your slaves, but if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. I guess, I mean, this, this is the struggle. That's the setup. That's the, that's the struggle. That's, the, that's what Israel is facing at this moment in time. That is the very real struggle that they, are, that, they, that they are facing. That's the situation that a young man, David, is about to walk into. And from what he does in this moment, we find out a lot about how we can work and allow God to work in our very real struggle. So here's what we're told. For 40 days, every morning and evening, this has gone 40 days, morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day... Jesse said to David, Jesse, the, the, the father of David, said to his son David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. His brothers were at the battlefront. And give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. Now, as, as a Wisconsin boy, nothing warms my heart better in, in, in scripture than knowing that David's father wanted his sons to have cheese. Hey, take this Havarti, take some sharp cheddar, take, like, take the best of Wisconsin cheese. Make sure that that goes to your, to your brothers and to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. That's what David is supposed to do. Carry the goods and bring back a report. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David arrived and he left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And here's the first lesson I think we learn from David when it comes to arriving on our struggle, facing up to our struggles, overcoming our struggles. The first lesson is simply this. You have to choose a, stand, a side to stand on and fight for. You have to choose a side to stand on and to fight for. Now, this is interesting to me. There's that detail that was mentioned at the very beginning of the story. When you look at a map and you see how David probably would have traveled toward the battle lines, he probably, we, we, we tend to think like, okay, there's, a, there's, there's, there's an army over here, army over here. This is the Israelites. This is the Philistines. David came up from behind and just happened to you know, kind of come upon the, the Israelites. When you look at a map and see how David would have arrived, you have the Israelites and you have the Philistines. And David would have come from a path that led him directly in the middle of these two opposing armies. He, like, he would have come to the battle and arrived with one army on his right and another army on his left. He would see the Philistines to the left and the Israelites to the right. And sure, he had his dad's instructions, but when did teenage boys ever listen to their dads, right? I mean, in this moment, about to witness battle for the first time in his life, he has a choice. Which side do I really want to be on? And if it comes to fighting today, which side will I fight Four, on the Philistines, Philistine side is all the power, all the might, all the weaponry, all the strong men, all the giants, everything that would make you want to be on that side. In other words, it would have been very tempting to join that side, to stand and fight for that side. I mean, why go to a side that doesn't appear to have much to offer other than the fact that God is on that side? See, here's why I think this is such a big deal. Every single day, you and I wake up and we walk into a valley. 
We do. In the struggles of our everyday life, in our everyday life, we wake up and we walk into a valley. On one side, there's the life that we know God wants us to live. And on the other side, there's a whole bunch of things vying for our attention, our energy, our time, our passion, and ultimately our lives. And many of us, what we do is we try to do something really weird. We try to live with one foot planted on each side. We try to be a Christian honoring God, but also giving our attention and our energy and our time and our passion to things that are ultimately trying to lead us away from God. And here's why this is, is so important. This is the whole deal. If we're going to be defined by how we respond in our, in our struggles, we have to choose a stand that we're going to stand on and choose a side that we're going to fight Four. This weekend in, in, in Las Cruces is graduation weekend. So to just say to, to graduates out there, when you step into whatever you go to next, you step into a valley. You step into a world where everything wants to pull you away from God, and it will be tempting to try to live with one foot kind of honoring God and one foot going after all the things that will lead you away from God. And I just think the very first thing that you have to decide when you face those moments, when you face those struggles of life, and we'll have to wake up every single day for the rest of your life and decide is which side you're really on. Which side gets my attention? Which side gets my energy? Which side gets my devotion? Which side gets my passion? Which side gets my time? Which side gets my finances? Which side gets my everything? The rest of us, I mean, I'm just, I know for the rest of us, we have lived long enough to know that in our world, there's some things competing for our attention and our devotion. And we may not be on a college campus, but we have to take the, make the same decision in our workplace, in our families, in, in, our, in how we entertain ourselves. Which side do I stand on and which side will I fight for? And if you're a believer in Jesus... And, and, and you've kind of tried to stand with one foot on each side. I would just simply encourage you. The decision for us today is to say this, that I refuse to stand with a foot in each camp. And today and every day, I choose to stand on the side of what God has for me. And just to let me poke at you a little bit, if there isn't something that just jumps out of you to say, I want to be on the side of whatever God has for me, I think that's a place to check your heart. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I think it's a place to check your heart. If there's something that goes, you know what? I choose the side of everything else. You are also stepping into moments that will define you. But they will not define you the way that you really want to be defined. You are actually choosing more struggle. Now, the story goes on. It's in 1 Samuel 17, verses 20, verse 23 and the following. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. As soon as they saw Goliath... Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? I mean, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. You just came here to sightsee. You just came to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Verse 29, what have I done now, David replied. And the answer is, you were a little brother and your older brother heard you talking. That's the only thing that happened. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Verse 32, don't worry about the, this Philistine, David told Saul. 
I will go fight him. David's been in the camp for an hour. These guys have been standing around with twiddling their thumbs and you know, scratching their armpits and having their hair grow long and staring at each other and going, oh, I don't think any of us are gonna fight. We're gonna line up today. We're gonna fight today. No one owns or no one's gonna fight today. He's gonna come out and say the same thing and we're gonna be terrified and it's gonna be the same thing over and over and over again. And the problem is still there and we're gonna do nothing about it. But here's what David did that defined him as someone who faced his struggles. David ran at his problems, not away from problems. This is the, se- the second lesson if it comes to facing our struggles. You run at problems, not away from problems. You're like, no, that's how you die. <laughs> no, no. That, the only way to solve a problem is to go towards, is to fix your problem. When we run from our problems, it doesn't make our problem go away. It only makes your peace delayed. That is a powerful life truth that David recognized, that running from the problem would never make the problem go, that running from Goliath, running from battle, running from the Philistines would never make the Philistines go away. It would simply make the conflict and the problem stay alive forever. It would only be dealt with if someone dealt with it. So David ran at the problem. David ran to the tent of the king. David asked until someone found out that he was making noise and that someone, this, this punk kid who just happened to show up with a whole bunch of cheese, he is here and he's asking questions and he's making noise and he's rattling sabers and he's, you know, talking with flamethrower language about defying God and all this kind of stuff. It's like, so, someone needs to get this guy to the king so that the king can tell him this isn't how we handle things like that here. And David gets in front of the king and says, Before you talk at all, I just want to let you know, I will fight him. I will fight him. And then David in the next few verses goes on to tell how he plans to win. I've I've defeated a bear. I've defeated a lion. Like this guy will be the same as a lion. He will be the same as the bear. He's going down and God will use me to do it. He ran at his problems, not away from your problems. And over the course of the next few weeks, weeks, days, months, years, decades, you're going to continue to have problems. You're going to have relationship problems. You're going to have immaturity problems. You're going to have poor college student problems. You're going to have can't find a job problems. You're going to have problems with your boss once you find a job. You're going to have roommate problems, conflict with mom and dad because you still live at home problems, broken heart problems, going to college problems, parenting kids problems, being married problems, being not married problems, like, like you know, getting approved by a, by a bank for a home loan problems, moving to a new city. Problems. You're going to have all kinds of problems. And the best option is to take the attitude of David and say, don't worry about this blank problem. I with God in me, with God through me, will defeat it. I'll take the ownership. I'll take the responsibility. I'll take the action. I'll do whatever I can do today to face this problem because when I run at them, I don't run from them. And when I run at them, the problem gets solved or I learn something. But nothing happens when I run from the problems. I see opportunities for something better, not a future to fear. I see a future where Goliath is dead and on the ground and we stand victorious on the battlefield. So we're gonna run at the problem not run away from it. You don't want to be known as the person who hides or runs from their problems. For some of you, let me just be honest, there are struggles that exist in your life that exist because you ran from the last struggle. 
That, like the, the fact that we didn't deal with the last struggle, the fact that we maybe embraced the struggle, we, the, the struggle became part of our identity, it's led to a whole bunch of other struggles. And there are struggles that we have today that we would not have if we had dealt with the last struggle properly, if we had run at it instead of running away from it. And so, and so for, you, for you and I, we want to be people who stand up and take responsibility and deal with things, and we run at our problems, not away from them. Story goes on. After David's conversation with Saul, it says he picked up five smooth stones in verse 40. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And everyone watching David go with no armor and with no sword and with no shield and with none of the stuff that they're supposed to have if you go fight someone who is as big and quick and big and strong as Goliath, they're all going, this guy is going to be toast. Let's pack up our bags because soon we will, per our agreement, if our guy loses, we become slaves today. That's what we all agreed to. That's what's apparently about to happen because for some reason we're sending out this 14-year-old boy who can't even grow a mustache and hasn't grown any armpit hair and certainly has no chest hair. We're letting him fight this nine-foot-tall giant. Like, what are we doing? What's going on? In verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David that you come at me with sticks? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. In other words, you, what, what, you, you think you're defying Saul? You think you're defying a nation? You're defying the God of heaven, buddy, and that's not going to go so well for you. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you. This is interesting. He's like, I'm going to kill you, but it's God who's going to conquer you. I, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and not with spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And all the strong warriors out there give a big hearty, amen. Right? Like, yeah. Like, if you can read that and not be like, mm, you may be dead inside. I, you know, and, and that may be the struggle that, you, that you're dealing with. Verse 48 tells us, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. Exactly what David said would happen, happened. The Lord conquered Goliath. The Lord conquered the Philistines that day, and he used David to kill him and to cut off his head. Now, What's interesting is we, you know, we, we read that story and we're like, ah, oh, the underdog won. And I think there is something in us that we, we, we want to think it's the underdog that won. But I think when you read this story, there's some things that actually kind of seem odd that make it seem like Goliath is not the, uh, is not the, the giant and the, and the strong word that he seems to be. And David is not as, as much of an underdog as we would have 
as, as we would believe. Let, let me ask you a couple questions. Why does this giant strong man need someone to carry his shield? He's, he's literally, he's got 125 pounds of armor on him. He's nine feet tall. We're, we're like, we're like, he, like, this is a strong man. Why does he need someone to carry a shield? He doesn't. Shield bearers went into battle with archers, but not into one-on-one combat with champions. The real meaning is not his shield bearer, it's his attendant. Goliath literally has someone leading him out to battle. I mean, uh, the, the way that you would like hold the hand of a four-year-old or five-year-old, the way that I hold my, my daughter's hands when we're crossing the streets. Like, hey, come down here, Goliath. Come here, Goliath. Okay, here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. Here's where you're going to stand. Okay, all right. Now you're going to stand here. Now give him a big old taunt. Okay, give him a really good taunt. You tell him that he's just a little dog with sticks. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that's what's happening here. Why does a big, strong man need someone to attend him and help lead him out to the place of battle? Why does this giant, strong man accuse David of coming at him with sticks when David had one large shepherd's staff and a bag? I mean, you're like, wait, 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 that, 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 that does seem odd. Why, like, he did say, why, like, you come at me with sticks. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? It, David had one, one bag and, a large she- and one large shepherd's staff. Why does Goliath keep saying, come here, come to me, come to me, send someone to me, send some to, someone to me? Maybe, maybe Goliath actually kind of struggled to move a little bit and, 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 or, or, or he couldn't you know, handle someone far away. Why does Goliath stand completely still letting a rock hit him in the head? I mean, isn't that the biggest question? Like when, every time you ever see this talked about, and the way it's actually talked about in the original languages is that David just like stands there. He's like far enough away that, that Goliath can't reach him, you know, shoots the sling and Goliath just stands completely still letting David just hit him in the head with the rock. You're like, why would some, that's a terrible battle strategy. Terrible battle strategy. Now, over a few years ago, this is really interesting. A group of doctors who were who familiar with this story began to think, you're right, his, his behavior does seem really, really odd. Like, it, it's really strange. And what they began to do with their understanding of, of, of cancer and understanding of, of medical science they began to look for clues in the, in the original languages and in the story of what was going on with Goliath. And they asked, first of all, well, how does someone grow to be over nine feet tall? How does someone become so strong? And what would, is there something that would cause them to grow so strong that would maybe also cause them to be limited in their movement, maybe cause them to have a little bit of blurry or double vision, and maybe have them completely uh, not even be able to see to know that something is happening in front of them if it's beyond a certain, a certain length, of, length of time. And what they determined, what they have kind of predicted or you know, without being able to actually diagnose a, a living person is they believe with absolute certainty that, that Goliath dealt with a condition called acromegaly which is a disease caused by a benign tumor on the pituitary gland. This causes an overproduction of human growth hormone, which would cause someone to become incredibly tall and incredibly strong and muscular, but also has a tendency to cause extreme trouble with eyesight as the tumor forces compression of the nerves that lead to the eyes, even causing something called diplopia or double vision. Why is Goliath seeing sticks? When there's stick, 
Why is Goliath so, he's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me? Because Goliath can't see David if David is, like, can't really see David clearly if David's not far enough away, if, if David is a certain distance away. Why is Goliath saying, come to me, come to come to me? Because Goliath can't really go to him. This is a battle that depends on, you get within my experience, I'll knock off your head. But if you're a little bit far away, you've got the advantage. And within this, the thing that gave Goliath the appearance of strength actually proved to be the thing that also caused his greatest weakness. And this is the third lesson that we take away from this in the face of our struggles. Obstacles are not always what they appear to be. Our struggles are not always what they appear to be. Our, our difficult moments of life, we have this tendency to blow up the problems, to blow up the struggles, to blow up the obstacles in our minds, making the problems and the obstacles and the struggles bigger in our minds than they really are. It's Goliath, and he's huge, and he's unbeatable, and he's never lost. He's the Philistine champion. But he ain't God but he has weaknesses too. He's so big and he's so strong, no one can beat him. Well, they can beat him if they stand seven feet away. I mean, like this is, the, this is what, what, what we do. We blow things up and we blow things out of proportion to me. This is so huge, no one could ever do this. We have a broken heart, can easily become, I'll never have anyone love me for who I am. I am unlovable. You fail a class, you can easily become, well, I'm not smart enough, I'm a failure. You have a job hunt re rejection, it can easily become, well, I'll never find work. I'll never be able to afford anything. I won't be able to afford to, to provide the life that my family deserves. Loneliness can easily become, well, none of my relationships work. I'll never have any friends. No one likes being around me. Parenting failures. You do the wrong thing in one moment, and then the next moment you're like, well, I failed last time. I'm probably going to fail this time. And then the fact that you think you're going to fail actually leads you to fail again. And your history, like you blow it up and you blow it out of proportion. Marriage failures where, where you, you said something that was wrong to your wife. You said something that was wrong to your husband, and you got it wrong, and you think, you're, oh, I'm, I'm a failure when it comes to marriage. Like, you, like no, it was, it was one argument. It was one wrong thing that does not make you a failure in marriage. You bought more house than you could afford problems. Cre credit card debt. You're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I keep spending, I spend, 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 spend. How am I ever going to pay this off? Well, the first thing to pay it all off is to stop spending more. It, like, it, like, you're like, whoa, 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 good. He just, well, actually sounds like the first step is really simple. It is. It's difficult, but it's simple. Okay, we can easily go to a place where those are such big, huge problems that we don't even know where to start. You start where David started. You move. You take action. You move boldly. And just because no one has de defeated Goliath yet doesn't mean he can't be defeated. And just because you haven't figured out the problem yet doesn't mean you can't overcome that problem. And just because you don't have the answer yet doesn't mean you won't have the answer someday. You keep going. You pre keep pressing on. You keep fighting and you keep believing that that struggle may be big, that obstacle may be huge, that thing that I'm dealing with, the thing that I'm facing, it may be bigger than anything I've ever faced before, but it still can be overcome because yes, the struggle is real, but so is my God. And the struggle may be big, but my God is bigger. And the obstacle may be incredibly huge, but my God is bigger than anything and anyone. And so, yes, I think the thing is big. And yes, I think the thing can't be overcome. But I also realize that obstacles are not always what they appear to be. And sometimes that thing that I think is so difficult and so huge is actually incredibly simple. It's difficult. 
but it's simple. This is how David faced a very real struggle and came out on the other side having established himself as someone who allows God to work in him and to work through him. And could over, and because God is at work in him and through him, he can overcome very real struggles of life. How did, how did David do that? He, he, he knew enough to pick a side to stand on and to fight for. David, David knew enough that, 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 that the obstacles aren't always what they appear to be. David knew that you run at a problem and not away from a problem. And the question, I think, as we close today, simply this, well, how did David know to do that? How did David know that he had to pick a side? How did David know that you run at a problem, not away from a problem? How did David know that he, that he was confident enough to make that speech? How did he see Goliath for what, what he really was and that he wasn't this over, you know, overbearing obstacle that couldn't be defeated, but he actually could be defeated fairly easily? I think it's because every step of the way, he was reminded of a scene in his, in his life story that was a few years years before this, on that day, when an old man came to his town, a man named Samuel. And Samuel came and he ate dinner with David's family. And after dinner, there was this moment that Samuel poured oil over David's head and announced that David had been picked by God, chosen by God to be the next ruler, the next leader, the next king of God's people, the nation of Israel. And so a giant comes, but he's been picked by God as a leader. And sure, everyone else runs away, but David runs at the problem because he's been picked by God. And sure, some people try to stand on both sides of the issues, wanting to try to get the good things of both sides. But David is the leader chosen by the God of one side. And sure, a lot of people back down when they see how big this giant is. But David has been anointed by God, handpicked by God. And so overcoming even the biggest giants is not too difficult. And the bottom line today is simply this, that if you're going to face the struggle and, and you're going to overcome the struggle, if you're going to be used by God to do, to let God do in and through you exactly what God wants you to do, to do in and through you in, in the face of the struggles of life, here's the simple thing that, that every single one of us need to remember, is that anything is possible when you have been picked by God. Anything is possible when you have been picked by God. Now you might argue, you know, I've never been picked by anybody. No one would ever pick me first in gym class for dodgeball. I'm never the person anyone picks to work with on group projects in school or at work. I am not a pickable person. Matter of fact, that's why I'm still single. Matter of fact, that's why I got married and I'm, and I'm, and I'm now divorced because I'm, I'm, I'm not pickable. No one, no one picks me. Like my, like my parents didn't like me. My, my, my mama didn't like me. My daddy didn't like me. I am not a pickable person. But here's some good news. You, just like David, have been picked by God. If you don't believe me, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you, you are a chosen picked. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You exist on the other side of the cross, on the other side of Jesus' entrance into our world, on the other side of the Son of God coming as the Savior of the world, to let you know that you have been chosen by God, that you stand royal, that you are a son or a daughter of the living God, that you are holy because God has made you holy, and that you are special because God has made you special when he brought you out of darkness and he brought you into his 
light. You have been picked by God and nothing is impossible when you have been picked by God. And so no matter what struggle you may be facing today, I want you to remember that anything is possible when you have been picked by God and you have been picked by God, meaning anything is possible for you, including facing that struggle and overcoming that obstacle and seeing that struggle that has been so big and so huge and so unbreakable in your life and seeing it overcome by the God who is bigger than everything else. And today, that's where we leave off. And next week, we're going to pick, off, pick up right at the end of this story. And we're going to discover how the struggle is real, but God is real too. And he's bigger than any struggle we face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you for your mercy for us. Thank you for your strength for us. Thank you that you have picked us. And God, thank you that because you have picked us, anything is possible. That, that because you have chosen us, anything is possible, including overcoming every struggle and every difficulty and every problem and every obstacle that would stand in our way and would keep us from experiencing life as you want it or relationship with you as you want it. So God, help us today to pick our side, to pick your side and to stand with you and to fight for you in every area of our lives. Help us to, help us to run at our problems, not to run away from them. Because, God, we want your peace here and now, right now in our lives. So we want to deal with our problems today. And, God, would you help us to understand that the obstacle may seem big, but, God, it's not as big as it seems because you are bigger, because you are stronger, because you have peace for us on the other side of the obstacle. And so, God, thank you that you have picked us. Thank you that you have chosen us. Thank you that you've made us special. Thank you that you've made us holy. Thank you that you've made us sons and daughters of you. And, God, today I pray that we would realize that and live out of that to be your people, accomplishing what you want in your world. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.